Our scripture for today is John 1, verse 35 through 42. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're in John chapter 1, and I'm excited because this is our fifth sermon in the book of John, and for the first time we hear Jesus say something. Everything in the book of John right now has been things happening. It's kind of been setting the stage for Jesus to now walk on the stage. And uh, we have Bibles over there, and we have Scripture journals. Uh, If you're newer here, you might not. We were putting them on the chairs. But what the Scripture journals are, it's just the book of John, but every other page is blank. So you can take a bunch of notes. And we have like a purple-type cover that's a little bit more aesthetic than just a plain black uh, cover as well. It's the same thing on the inside, but uh, they're over there too. There are stacks of them, and those are free. So just grab one and, uh, and grab two if you want to lead someone else through a study of the book of John. Uh, but we're at John chapter 1. And just to give you a reminder, John the Baptist has kicked off the section that we're in. John uh, and his disciples are following him. John is mentoring a couple guys as their teacher. And John the Baptist has previously announced to people, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now it's the next day. So John is letting us know the play-by-play here. And he's like, "This the next day, look at John 1 verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So we know for sure, um, the way that John writes this, it's almost like a slow-mo of like, pay attention to who's looking at who. Pay attention to the glances people are, are, are throwing each other's way. Pay attention to all of this incredible detail uh, to notice all these things. So John walks by, or Jesus walks by these three guys, and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. And it doesn't seem like John the Baptist is just like repeating himself from what he's just said, what we looked at last week. Uh, This word behold can also mean look. Like, hey, check it out. Check it out, guys. To his disciples, I think what he's telling them is, hey, you've been following me, but look, he's right here. Follow him. He's he's right here. Um, Go. And it seems like these guys both are Jewish. We'll find out the identity of one of them in a little bit. But it seems like they're both Jewish, which means that they grew up with their worldview being that there was a temple in Jerusalem, okay? There's a temple in Jerusalem. And if you wanted to get right with God, if you were feeling the conviction of your sin, if you're saying, hey, I want to 
if someone asked me, like, if you were to die today and you're standing right in front of God and God says, like, why should I let you in? What would your response be? And, and most people, I think, in, in rural Iowa would say, well, I'm a good person and I try really hard for my good to outweigh my bad. And, um, and in this time period, what these guys would have said is, I go to the temple in Jerusalem. If you want to have your sins dealt with, God provided a way, and it was through the innocence of a pure lamb. The innocence of a pure lamb. A lamb that didn't have any stain, a lamb that didn't have any blemish. The absolute best lamb. And you might say, what does a lamb have to do with my sin? What does a lamb have to do with my life? And uh, Jason Silo and Mark Huntrods and some other uh, people in our church are having a lot of lambs right now. And are, uh, you know, so if you wanted to get right with God and this was the way, you'd go up to Jason after service and be like, hey, do you have any perfect lambs? I'm in the market to buy one. I have sin I'm trying to atone for. Uh, do you have any lambs? And what would happen is you would purchase a lamb from a guy like Jason, and then you would go to the temple, and then you'd place your hands on the head of the lamb. And what you're basically doing is saying, this lamb, it's like a puppy or a kitten. It's like very innocent. And I'm going to put my hands on this innocent lamb, and my guilt and my sin and my shame and all of that goes on to the lamb, and that lamb then is killed, is sacrifice. And this was a way that the lamb's untimely death would atone for our sins. And uh, there was no other way. And God never allowed people to pay for their own sins. God never allowed us to be like, I'm just going to try really hard. I'm just going to do a lot of good things. He's like, I love you too much to do, like, for you to do that. The admission is way too high. The cost is way too high. Um, being a good person is good. It's terrible admission to heaven. It's terrible forgiveness of our sins. So he knew that wouldn't be possible, so he gave them this very tangible picture of the seriousness of their sin, and he provided them a way. He gave, he gave us this way before Christ would come. So check it out. So when John says, behold, the Lamb of God is walking right there. The Lamb of God. He's saying the one who will truly pay for your sins, the innocent one who will take your sins, completely perfect, innocent Lamb. He, the temple sacrifice system was set up in a way that it had to happen every day. It was happen, having to happen continually and we learn in the book of Hebrews and elsewhere that Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice. He's not just a lamb. He's the lamb of God. So verse 37, after he said this, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. <laughs> I mean, which I hope we would do, right? If it's like, if you're understanding how the lamb works, how the sacrificial system works, and John the Baptist, who you've been following, says, oh, that's the lamb of God, I think, like, once again, like, maybe you get whiplash because of how quickly you turn around and say, oh, gosh, well, we're going to follow this guy then. The disciples followed Jesus, 
And what I love is as they follow Jesus and look again at the detail of of how John writes this, verse 38 is another, pay attention to every detail type verse. They follow Jesus and then verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So this is powerful. This is Jesus' first words in the book of John, fifth sermon we've been in. These first words are simple. They're powerful. What are you seeking? Jesus wants to know their motives. Why are you following me? Why are you here? What are you after? I love, like, he wants to get to their heart And he wants to get to our hearts, I think, and just say, like, hey, what are you here for? What are you seeking? You know, like he could have just said, like, hey, why are you following me? But in the way that Jesus only can, when he asks one question, I think he's asking a thousand questions of us. And it's, what are you seeking? Incredible first words. It's an incredible question to these two guys. It's an incredible question for us this morning. And and I just want to ask it. Um, and have Jesus ask it to us. If you're fully honest with Jesus and fully honest with yourself in this moment, is what are you seeking? Why, why are you here? What are you seeking? Maybe some are here in pain and they're seeking healing. Maybe you're seeking some peace and you're hoping that maybe Jesus has the answer. Maybe you're seeking to just have your spouse stop pestering you to come to church. So that's what you're here, and maybe that's what you're seeking. Um, Maybe you're seeking healthy friendships, and Jesus' people might be the answer to that. Maybe you, you felt disillusioned by your sin. You thought that certain things would make you really happy, but they instead are leaving you really empty and emptier even than before. Um. Maybe something here might be the answer. Maybe you're seeking for other people to think you're okay. If I'm following kind of after him, maybe people will think that I'm okay. Being a part of church might signal to other people that you have it all together. Maybe you've said like, hey, I've just tried everything, and life still seems like it's hanging on by a thread, so this feels like a last chance. Hail Mary pass. Uh, Maybe you just don't know what you're seeking. Maybe you're here and you just don't know what you're seeking, but you feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. And, um, man, I think, like, any reason, like, I am so glad you're here. Because <laughs> I think we are each exactly where Jesus wants us to be. And in being here, um, having him say, what are you seeking? Asking them, what are they seeking? And let's go back to 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So after Jesus asked them, what are you seeking? Their response is to ask Jesus where he's, where he's staying. I don't think um, this is exactly what they're seeking. Their response isn't like, well, I've thought long and hard about it, and I just want your address. If you could just give me your address, I'll be, you'll never see me again, I promise. I just want to know what you're, I'm journaling, and I need to know where you live. Like, that's not 
when they say, where are you staying? I think in asking where you're staying, I think that they're not wanting to have a public conversation at that moment. Maybe there are a bunch of religious leaders around. We've seen this in the context of John 1 already, that there are a lot of really antagonistic people that are just out to try and blow the whole thing up. And I think these are legitimate dudes that know what they're seeking, and they're asking for a private meeting with Jesus to really be able to go there with him and open up with him and say, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm seeking. Jesus says to them, come and you will see. Is he like, once again, is it like, is he saying like, hey, you'll know where I'm staying? I think he's saying, come and your eyes will be open. Come and you're going to find the one that you're looking for. Come and you will see. So uh, yes, he's telling them, come and you'll see where I'm staying. But there's so much more here. Um, Come and you will see. And they follow Jesus. They go to his home. They stay with him for the rest of the day. It says that it was the 10th hour, which more than likely is four, around 4 in the afternoon. Remember, there aren't any cars or any of that stuff. So once you get to a place of 4 in the afternoon, you're probably going to be there uh, until the next day. And so, so he's gonna, these guys are going to end up spending the evening talking with Jesus. And up till now, we don't know who these two, two guys are. Verse 40 starts connecting some of the dots of how this fits. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew is one of these guys in conversation. The other guy is never mentioned. Most scholars think it's John who's, who's writing this. Uh, for the sake of the story, though, it's most important to know Andrew was here, and Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. Peter will become one of the most important disciples of Jesus in his influence in the early church. And for now, Peter is probably at home fishing, maybe annoyed that Andrew has just kind of gone MIA and he's having to do twice the work. Um, But Jesus is asking Andrew what he is seeking. They spend the evening talking. Then verse 41 lets us know what they were truly seeking. It lets us know the result of their time with Jesus. Verse 41 he first found his own brother, Simon. So first of all, before we can go further than that, this is just a, a marvel, and, and Tanner's actually going to be preaching next Sunday, and him and I were talking this morning about the passage for next week and how it's almost we see as a, as a, a way that John is writing this is you see people kind of like go somewhere with Jesus, and you, you, we aren't privy to the conversation. We actually don't know what that evening was like. We don't know the conversations that were had, but we get to observe what those people look like when they leave the room and what they do with their lives after they've been with Jesus. And I I think part of it is to make us go into that room and be like, man, these guys are like radically, what, I got to go meet this guy. I got to go see what this, what Jesus is all about. Because look what happens. So, so they, they follow him, they follow Jesus, then verse 41 He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. It's the first thing we see after an evening spent with Jesus is Simon said, or Andrew goes, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Andrew doesn't go on with his life as normal. Encountering Jesus changes all his other encounters. Being with Jesus changes 
all the other ways he will be with other people from here on out. And the first thing he does when he leaves spending time with Jesus, the first thing he does is find his brother Simon. Maybe Simon thinks he's crazy. Maybe Simon is angry. Maybe Simon won't believe him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change what Andrew says. That's on, on Simon, his response. But it doesn't change how, what Andrew says. Andrew has found the one that all the prophecies have been about, the Messiah. Andrew had heard John the Baptist that this was the Lamb of God. Andrew goes to him. He speaks with him. He asks him questions, and he's changed. Andrew's changed. He's found the Messiah. For those who aren't familiar with the, their Bibles, those not familiar with Hebrew, Messiah um, is, means the Christ. Like it's the Hebrew word for the anointed one. Christ is the Greek word. Uh, Messiah is the Hebrew word. It, it means this is the one that all of the prophecies were about. Uh, when we preach the book of Daniel, all the visions about, about the Son of God who's coming was wrapped up in all of this. And so when he says that word Christ, he is saying this is the one that we have been yearning for. Not just looking for, but yearning for. Andrew is seeking the Savior. And I've, I've asked myself this question so much this week. Like, what are you really seeking? Like, looked in my rearview mirror like, Tim, what are you seeking? I'm seeking peace and quiet. Or, or I'm seeking to just um, have this situation go a little bit better. But it's like, that, is that all you're seeking? Like, what are you seeking in the deepest part of who you are, and uh, man, like what I've just spoke to myself to say, like, seek Jesus, seek him, the Prince of Peace, and Andrew says, that's who I was seeking, and I found him. He's going to learn way more about Jesus in the years to come, but for now, he can say, we have found the Messiah, and can you say this? I think this is a great question for all of us. Can you say, I have found the Messiah. Can you say, we have found the Messiah? Like, I mean, Andrew, this was like a game changer for him. It's like, the one that I'm seeking, I have found him. And then, who needs to know? We have found the Messiah. Who needs to know? Andrew walks out of the meeting with Jesus, and he's like, I know exactly where I'm going right now. I'm going to meet my brother, and I'm going to let him know what's happened. My, our searching is over. And I think one of the great joys of planting Sacred Mission Church, and it's been, is, is just being surprised by the relationships, that relationships that used to be, be defined as classmate, neighbor, friend, teammate, now are being defined by each of us saying, we have found the Messiah. Like I, I love uh, TJ McCord and I share the story of just, I hadn't seen him for 20 years and I, we, just about four years ago or so, um, we were back just praying about if we should move back here and if it seems like the Lord is planting a church here. And I remember walking up to TJ. Uh, I had heard that he had moved back to town. I thought he was, I wasn't even sure if he lived in Iowa. I just heard some rumors and stuff. And when I went up to him for the first time, before I even said anything to him, just looking into his eyes, I could tell he had found the Messiah. I was looking at a different human being than the one I knew that I grew up with. 
and, uh, and just being able to let each other know, like, hey, we have found the Messiah, and who needs to know? Like, who needs to know this? Like, the things that used to define us, like, this is, this is the defining thing now. In verse 42, we see that Andrew does so much more than just, uh, just telling Peter that he's found the Messiah. Andrew actually brings him to Jesus. Look at, uh, look at verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. So picture that. Andrew's having this conversation. And once again, like, there's so many details that John is leaving out. But Andrew's having this conversation with his brother. And then the next thing we know, he's bringing him to Jesus. So is he like, hey, man, just promise me? Or is Peter like, yes, wh- where? Tell me. Bring him. Bring him. Bring me to him. Like, we don't know. But somehow Andrew had a moment with his brother. And then they're walking towards Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. And then look at this. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So this goes against conventional conversation. If, if I was bringing someone to meet James, you know, I'd be like, uh, hey, James, this is my brother, Will. Will, this is my brother, or this is my brother, James. <laughs> brother Will, this is my brother in Christ. James, you guys should meet each other, Right? What I love is that as Andrew is bringing Simon, I love that Jesus says, hey, you're Simon. I know you. You're Simon, the son of John. I know you and I knew your dad. Jesus is making sure he knows that he is meeting someone different than he's ever met before. He's meeting the all-knowing one. He's meeting one that welcomes him in. Man, I... I, I knew you before your brother introduced you. I, I, I knew your family. Uh, then you shall be called Cephas. I don't know, like, some, some people are, like, nickname people. You know, they're just always giving someone a nickname. And I don't know if you've ever had someone that doesn't know you give you a nickname. It's actually pretty annoying, right? It's like, like your first response is, like, you don't know me. You don't know me well enough to give me a nickname. You think that's going to stick? Why don't we get to know each other first, right? Jesus just goes for it. And it's like, hey, I know you, you're Simon, and here's your nickname. Uh, Cephas was not a name. It's like, you know, who knows of any, like, families that named, like, their child Slim. Like, legal name, Slim, right? Like, you don't, that's, we know Slims, you know, usually are bigger dudes. (laughs) Uh, But that's like a nickname. That's usually not, like, an actual legal name. Cephas is not a legal name, but it was a nickname in use at the time. And so he says, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Cephas is Aramaic. Uh, It was a time period where everybody had several languages that they spoke. Aramaic was a very common language. Greek was common. Hebrew was spoken by people. Jesus would have spoken uh, four languages pretty fluently, being Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, um, and uh, I'm leaving out one. But but here we're, we're having Aramaic, Cephas, and then Greek is the, the Greek version of this nickname is Peter. And what I love here is Jesus doesn't just tell him who he is. Jesus gives him a new name to tell him who Jesus is going to make him. Which I think is so powerful. Yeah, you've been known as Simon. Simon was a derivative of the name Simeon. And Simeon 
was a tribe of Israel, but Simeon, one of Jacob's sons, was known as being a hothead. And Peter lives up to that name, as, as we see some of the things that Peter was kind of known for being a hothead. And Jesus is like, hey, Simon, Simeon, you're Cephas, you're a rock, man. Like, that's who I'm going to make you to be. That's, that's what I'm going to form you to be. And uh, he's declaring who he will one day make him. Jesus knows people thoroughly. He doesn't just see into you. He doesn't just know you, know your story, know your background. He knows what you can be, what you must be, what he's forming you into, a new identity he's giving you. He sees not the vision of what currently defines you, but what could define you. What could define you. And this is the first time he meets with Simon face to face. And he's given him this crazy vision of what is going to define him. He renames him. And I think a, a big question for us, it's a hard question, but a big question for us is, will you let Jesus rename you? Would you truly let Jesus rename you? Give you a total new definition of who you are? Oh, man, that's not who I am. It's, uh, you know, oh, no, this is who I am, all these things from my past. But it's like, uh, you know, would Simon be like a rock, not a hothead? Interested to see how this will play out. <laughs> Follow Jesus and find out how he makes that happen in my life, how he forms me that way. Will, Jesus, will you let Jesus rename you? And what I think is probably just as important is will you let Jesus rename those around you? Not see somebody and be like, oh, I know who you are. Who are you trying to kid? I know who you are. It's like, well, actually, I think Jesus has uh, told me I'm something new and that he's forming me into something that uh, he sees in me. Do I see to myself? I mean, I'm just trusting him. Jesus, you're in control of my life. I think we have to say that if we're letting him rename us. Jesus, whatever would give you glory. Oh, Tim, he's the screw-up. That's, that, that's his new name. I'd hopefully be like, well, I guess if it gives Jesus glory, then that's my new name. I look forward to heaven. <laughs> you know, like, but he's good. And he's for our good. And he's trustworthy. And he, he's in the business of redefining us. And he's using Peter as an illustration of what he's doing all around here. And man, for Peter, he truly was redefined. Jesus is the one worth seeking. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knows who he is transforming us to be. And will we let him rename us? Maybe rename us from broken to healed. Maybe rename us from tired to empowered. Maybe rename us from lost to found. From enslaved to free. From defeated to victorious. From proud to humble. And a thousand other ways that he sees what he's forming when he is on the move in us, when he's on the move in our community. Uh, so, Lord, we just say yes and amen to who you are wanting us to be. 
And Lord, if, um, if our heart actually is saying, no, no way, not me, not in a million years, Lord, would you actually do a work in us where we can say yes to who you are forming us to be? And Lord, would we, uh, this is never designed to happen in a cabin in Montana. This is meant to happen as we are locking arms together, as a sisterhood is being formed, as a band of brothers is being formed here, and that we can actually speak into each other's lives, disciple each other, be discipled by you, have the Spirit empower all of this that's happening in our midst. Lord, would you rename each of us? Some of us today, would you rename us Christian, follower of Jesus, free of our sin? because we have laid it down at the feet of our Savior. Lord, would some of us be named Christian for the first time in this place today? Lord, would you just have your way, however you want to form us. Some of us, I know, need to be deeply encouraged. Some of us need to be uh, formed in only ways that you know, because you know us so intimately. And I thank you for showing us this through the life of Peter today. So Lord, we give this to you for your glory. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. So one of the ways that he actually gave us to not just walk out of here and kind of try really hard, um, our response, our appropriate response is always actually to go towards him, right? Like, this is what Andrew did, this is what Peter did. Their movements towards being radically changed weren't just to go home and try really hard on their own. Their movement was actually together walking towards Jesus. And so communion is such a powerful us communing with him. Jesus invented this. This is Jesus' design for us as a church, uh, that as we take the bread, he's saying, like, you are, this is my body that was lived for you. Take and eat freely and then the wine or juice, obey your conscience there, representing his blood that was shed for us. Him being the perfect lamb takes away the sins of the world once for all. That we identify with that. We say, that is the hope I have. And so it's a cup within a cup. So, so uh, come and take one of those. The, the, the way that scripture sets this up is to say, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, like I would encourage you, let that define you today putting your trust in Jesus. And I'd love to explain that more in detail if that feels confusing, but you don't have to do anything. Um, you don't have to give any money. You don't have to raise a hand. You don't have to walk an aisle. Jesus did all the work for you that your response is to say, yes, Jesus, I'm yours. Give my life to you. And then I would encourage you, um, come to Jesus. Don't come to the table. But after you come to Jesus and give your life to him, then come to the table. Uh, scripture says don't come quickly to the table if the Lord is revealing things to you, a sin to confess, areas that he's like, hey, let me redefine this part of you. Let me actually like give you a new name for, for maybe what got you here won't get you there. And let me, let me give you a new name. So, man, if you need to spend even five minutes just praying before you come, uh, we're in no hurry uh, today. It's too cold to go outside anyway. So we'll just, we'll just be in here as long as uh, it's warm. Uh, but, uh, but really, like, let's, let's meet with him. Let's commune with him. And then the way that we'll do it is let's come. We'll take the elements or get them, go back to our seats. And then let's stay standing. And then we'll take it together as family. So let's come. Let's respond.
Thank you that your body that we hold in our hands tangibly we're proclaiming we have found the Christ. We've found the Messiah. Lord, I thank you that you lived perfect life in our place. Even as I hear kids celebrating, Lord, would our hearts feel the same way that they do? yelling right now, Lord, would our hearts be yelling, we have found the Christ. What we are seeking has been found. And Lord, uh, would we never hunger again? Would we never thirst again? Lord, as we take your body together, would this be a sweet aroma to you? Would you receive our worship? Would you increase our love and our faith? Lord, I thank you that what we hold in our hands also allows us to, to shout and to have great joy that, uh, that we have been set free, that our sin has been forgiven, that when you see us, you see the victory of Jesus. Lord, would you, uh, man, would you meet with each of our hearts? Lord, would you meet with each of our minds? Would you meet with each of us? And just really allow us to embrace that, that, uh, that we are free, that when you see us, you see Jesus, because we are in him. And uh, Lord, we would never even dare to think such great thoughts. We'd never even dare to, to go there if that wasn't what you tell us and what you have provided for us to hold in our hands right now. So Lord, would, you, would this be a drink of victory 
Lord, and would you uh, just increase our love and our affection as we take this together. Very uh, appropriate to, uh, to worship right now. So, uh, man, let's, uh, if you want to worship by just sitting down and praying, if you want to worship by, uh, by uh, yelling at the top of your lungs, just, uh, uh, man, just pretend that, yes, we're all in here together, but just uh, it's really us and God, too. And, uh, and let's just be all in. in uh, uh, His mercy is more. Is uh, is what we're going to um, what we're going to sing together, and uh, man, and if you aren't feeling the greatness of His mercy, let this be a prayer too, and let all these lyrics just be a prayer of like, Lord, would you allow me to feel that? What's that?
praise the Lord. His mercy is more stronger than darkness. New every morn, oh, our sins they are many. His mercy is more, oh, our sins they are many. His Um, that our community groups are designed for locking arms together as Jesus redefines us. Uh, we'll have Celebrate Recovery here at 2 o'clock, so it's kind of designed to go home, have lunch, and then come back, and that's a very in intensive coming together about like, okay, Jesus has renamed us. Let's walk together as he does this radical changing, and so we'll have that. Uh, guys and ladies are separate, and that's been incredible, so, uh, but Lord, we Thank you so much for bringing us together. Thank you that it is true that um, despite all of who we are, your mercy is so incredible uh, to not just walk away from us, but to actually reform us into us as you design us to be. And so in the endeavor of that this week, Lord, would you uh, link us together as we walk out of here? Would we walk out together? And uh, Lord, would you add to our number that those who are being saved, because you deserve that worship, and uh, they they need to have that joy. And uh, and so, Lord, uh, uh, would we go together in your peace? We pray these things. Amen. All right, let's go together. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. Well, I was broken, 